0: The biggest one that I see is the constant willingness to sacrifice relationship for money, to just chase after whatever the next promotion is, the next status, because our families can't compete with that. My kids can't tell me, you know, you've done such a great job being a dad this quarter. We're going to go ahead and give you a bonus and we're going to change your title to executive vice president of fatherhood.
1: thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I have the distinct pleasure of being in the studio today with James Linhoff. He's the co-founder and director of Mission at WealthQuest, the host of the Rich Life podcast, and author of a best-selling book, Living the Rich Life. James, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thanks, Mike, man. I'm excited to be here and just really enjoy our conversations whenever we talk. So this will be a lot of fun.
1: Absolutely, sir. So James, one of the things that we want to talk about today with our audience is about being an ambassador for our people, for our team, how we as leaders show up and what we can do both practically and kind of from a longevity perspective of helping our people live well, lead well, work well. And I'm excited to really dive into some of the things that you've seen as best practices, some of the topics that you have found most popular on the rich life podcast, and really introduce you to our listeners and encourage them to check out everything that you're doing. So, so let's jump right in here. Yeah, man. So, you know, one of the things that clearly aligns with our, both of our thinking and your organization, you know, even your title director of mission at WealthQuest I'd love to come back to that because I think unpacking that will help our listeners start really getting into this conversation. So what brought that job title up for you?
0: Well, you know, I was the president of WealthQuest. And when we started the company, I was working with clients. I was in the weeds with all the hard and the emotion and the scary of money because money is emotional. It's, it's incredibly complicated. It's not just math. And so we got connected to all of those dreams and fears and I was really enjoying that work and then we hired a bunch of employees as we grew and I was doing the same work with them you know helping them with what they're afraid of what they feel like they're failing at and how to resource them and connect them to a purpose and then eventually over time we kept growing to a point where the leadership team was looking at spreadsheets and numbers and moving chess pieces around on a board and deeply involved in detail and strategy and quite frankly detail is my kryptonite i'm a relationship guy and so it just hit me at one point i'm not the right skill set for this president role if this is what this involves because i'm not in the weeds anymore i'm not relationally injected into the lives of the people that matter i'm i'm having conversations around data and benchmarking and how are we comparing to our peers and I mean, it's not that that's not important. It's just it's not important to me. (laughs) And so that's a really big problem if that's a big part of the role. So I decided to step out of that role and actually kind of created this this role for myself of director of mission. And really, the vision is to be the conduit between all of our team members and the leadership team, because I can speak in strategy and spreadsheets. But I also want to be relationally connected to people who are actually implementing this stuff and find out where are you falling short? What resources don't you have? Where are there conflicts with other team members that we need to resolve? I want to be in that stuff. That's way more exciting for me, but I can still translate that back to the leadership team to give them some insight as I'm talking to to our team. So it's been an awesome role. I'm loving every second of it.
1: You know, when I hear you share about this role, I think a lot of individuals who are like chief culture officers and individuals who are in a role where what they're focused on is investing in their people and hearing the conflict and conversation and helping people work through, learn new skills, learn new tactics, learn themselves and new approaches. How much of your role is that function?
0: It's almost all of it at this point. I mean, I still have clients that I'm still engaged with, which I love that work, but you know, our mission as a company is to empower families to live meaningful lives. And so for me, that's going to take a team that's engaged in that mission, that's passionate about it, that's not shying away from hard conversations with clients because they're afraid step into that fear, have the hard conversation with them. And so I wanna make sure they have what they need in order for our clients to actually live that meaningful life we've said we're all about. And that takes a lot of work. It doesn't take as much as I would imagine because once you cast that vision, all of our team is excited about it. They want to deliver on that, but there's challenges, there's roadblocks, there's limitations They they need resourcing in order to deliver. And that's the stuff I'm excited about, but it is very much about culture. We have a social contract in our office that everyone has signed, all of our employees as a commitment to, this is how we're going to show up. This is how we're going to do conflict. This is how we're going to have fun. It's a way to hold people accountable to some reference point of what they should behave like when they're in the office. And that has been a huge win for us to at least have this that we've all agreed to, to say, yeah, this is who we're going to be. And my job is aim them at that, remind them of that and keep them connected to it. So.
1: And is this through one-on-ones? Is it group sessions? Is it all of the above? I mean, walk me through, if I'm on your team, what am I experiencing with James? What are you doing? Because I know our listeners will gain a lot of incredibly tangible ways to approach their team, maybe even yet today yeah well that
0: would be fun for me the thing that's been so interesting is the organic nature of it yes it is team meetings and standing meetings and check-ins and and our goal is to in some ways over communicate the team we really don't want people to feel like they didn't hear about something or they didn't understand what's going on so we're, we're big fans of lots of opportunity to do group communication but then I'm intentionally keeping space on my calendar to just walk around and stop into people's offices and ask them how they're doing, what's going on with them. And, and one of the things that's really fun is the moment when they say, oh, I'm okay. And I go, mm, you want to tell me the truth or you want me to just act like that's the truth? You know, <laughs> and they'll, they'll kind of, all right, fine. And then they eventually in that one-on-one space will give you what's really weighing them down. And the more they practice that, the more comfortable they are, the more the one I check in, I can ask them and I don't have to push through that first layer of defense. They'll just come right out and say, this is what I need right now, or this is what I'm
1: struggling with. It's been great. James, I find entrusted in, in most environments, there's a lack of trust. And that goes from personal relationships to friendships, to family and to workplace, especially right? Where most people, when they ask the question, don't want you to give the whole answer. That's right. They want the superficial because they want to ask it because it's a pleasantry and they want to move on.
0: Yes. The, the, how are you today is really just a hi, right? They don't actually want you to tell them.
1: And I tell people all the time, you know, Hey, when you ask me that question, I have trained myself to actually answer the question. That's awesome.
0: So buckle up, it's coming, whether you wanted it or not.
1: That's right. And you're doing the same, right? You're asking the next question. You're not just allowing an employee to get off the hook when you can tell something's going on, right? And employers listening to this, people leaders listening to this, that's a piece of becoming a talent magnet. We need to care deeply about every single human we employ. That's right. You know, James, you just hit on that. Have there been benefits? Like a, you know, I see, I hear your social contract. I think, does that replace the employee handbook? Are there certain creative benefits that have come out of listening to your employees, right? That you never yeah. would have thought you were offering, that now you do. Anything there that you can share, some of the innovation that's come out of driving this kind of culture.
0: The biggest thing with the social contract was I got everybody in a room and had a blank whiteboard and said, how do we want to treat each other? And I want to hear everybody's voice. Nobody is allowed to say, I wasn't part of it, I didn't get to speak into it. Everybody's voice has to be heard, even if what you say is my favorite thing on the list is that one. I don't care, just say something. And they kind of puked out all these different ideas and I was then I kind of compiled all that into a document and had everybody sign it. And we review it in our standing meetings. Like we go bullet point, you know, every week we'll read off a bullet point. Like, hey, just remember in the social contract, one of the things we we committed to was when we have conflict, we will not triangulate. We will not gossip. We will have direct conversations with each other. So if you have a conflict that's going on right now, just go have that conversation that needs to be had. So those kinds of things to just remind them of those points. And what's been really fun is Their language is in it. They came up with the ways to say it. I didn't manipulate that. So they're their ideas. So they own them more than if they were our ideas and we just kind of pushed them on them. But what's been really interesting is our four main values as a company is that we are servants, we are advocates, we're leaders and we're pioneers. And when we have these things kind of up around the office, I'm asking who who do you need to advocate for? Who needs more resources? You can tell, but they're not asking for it. Who's you know, gulping air and barely making it? We need to make sure that we're hiring people to stay ahead of the capacity curve. Because I think the mistake that most companies make is that they will squeeze every last ounce of productivity from their employees by allowing them to not have boundaries, by kind of just assuming they're gonna work until the work is done. And so you don't know when you actually needed to hire somebody else because somebody on the team is doing three people's jobs. So what we do, we close at noon every Friday as an office, all of our team goes home. We tell them, go be with your family, go love your family, come back on Monday ready to kick some butt. We I walk around at five o'clock, hey, go home, it's time to be with your family. We will force the boundaries on them because what we've discovered is when we do that, they're more rested, they're infinitely more productive. And it also informs for us when we need to hire somebody. If stuff's not getting done because everybody's leaving at five, well, oh, okay, we're we got to add capacity. That's easy to identify. But when we let people work till nine o'clock at night, we hide a problem because the work's getting done. so as far as we know, everything's fine. So those are the kinds of things that have come out of just being intentional about making a space where employees can thrive. It's been a lot of fun to
1: build that. That's awesome. Well, we talk so often, I mean, every episode about helping leaders, in this case, your team succeed in relationships, work, community, and life. And that work is just one component, right? It is a major component. It's as much a major component as sleep. Yeah. How many people are cheating themselves in sleep and cheating themselves in every other category because of work? And the opportunity we have as employers and leaders and influencers to help those around us maybe take a view relating to their professional life that no one else has ever encouraged them to take. I mean, what you're saying, James, is probably not how you cut your teeth in your career. Not at all. (laughs) At some point, you learned or desired something different. And there was this light bulb moment that went off for you and your partners that we're gonna create that space.
0: That's absolutely true. I definitely started working an obscene out number of hours and way over committed, having terrible work, work-life balance. And it was a desire to to change it for myself. But one of the things that we are really committed to is if it's available to me, it's it's gotta be available to everybody. If I'm gonna leave at noon on Fridays, we should make everybody available to leave at noon. How do we do this in a way where the boundaries that I want to set for myself are boundaries that are only that aren't only reserved for the, you know, the executive team? For example, the other thing that we've discovered that's been really fun: we're in a service business. We serve families, so we deeply incentivize service. So we pay for our employees to go on mission trips and relief trips. They can take themselves and a family member, and we pay their way to go. And we also don't count it as vacation days. And part of that is if we are in the service business, we need to exercise serving. When people go and they help, you know, when there's a hurricane or they help relieve suffering in a a third world country and they come back, they are hardwired to serve others. And so we wanna incentivize that. We don't wanna make it impossible for them to engage in that activity. That's exactly the activity we want them to translate to how they care for the families we're serving. So we help fund adoptions, we match charitable contributions. We've been really intentional about saying, this story needs to be about something bigger than you. And we wanna partner with you in that story. So whatever that looks like, we're in. So we wanna encourage that. And the only way we encourage that is if we make it a normal part of the conversation rather than kind of a side note after the fact, by the way, you should go do something with yourself.
1: And that's the way most do. And I, I hope and pray and, and inspire by the stories that we hear from our listeners. And I do want you, as listeners, to provide us your feedback on this episode. In fact, like in our style, we always love giving away books. So if you email us, if you email me, Mike Simple Jr. at talentmagnet.com and put James Linhoff in your subject line, we're going to give away a several copies of James' book. No, that's great. As I told James, the day that I reached, a few weeks before I reached out to him that said, hey, James, we need to get on the podcast. I walked into my son, my 13-year-old son's bedroom, and he has, in his style, he is reading James's book that apparently his papa gave him a copy. And James, (laughs) I think we have a stack of your books like this in our office. (laughs) That's Um, awesome. Let's go there. Yeah. If we could share us. And again, I, they, all of our listeners, ping me, send me a note, let me know you're out there. I'd love to nothing more than to get you a copy of James' book and maybe even provide a pack of our discussion cards that Talent Magnet provides. Let's talk a little bit about your book, James. Uh, what inspired you to go down this path? What's your hope and vision for what you've put in to your work there?
0: It's an interesting experience, but it's a really rare perspective that I have clients in their 80s and 90s, and I don't know very many 40-somethings that know a lot of 90-somethings. It's just a really unique position, and so I have been working with these individuals and their families for 20 years and seeing the decisions they make and hearing the stories they tell about all the ways that they regret money decisions as they look back. be meeting with an 80-year-old who's telling me all the things that they wish they'd never done, because of how it led to so much pain for their family. And then I'll meet with a 30 year old who's just getting started and they're telling me all the things they're about to do. And I'm like, oh, I have you as an 80 year old client. And they would tell you everything you're about to do is what they wish they'd never done. And I just had this weight that regret compounds more than money does if we're not careful. And we need to really be intentional about how we approach our decisions around money because the emotion of it, the relationship aspect of it, The fact that it is so entwined in our human brokenness, that is what makes money so hard. And we keep making decisions as if it's just math. The math is easy. It's the rest of it that's hard. And so the book is really about just some guidelines and some general thoughts of how we can approach different aspects of money in a way that leads to really confident decision making that's connected to our heart. Because most of the time, we only connect it to our brain, and then we have a lot of pain on the other
1: side. James, can you give just a little bit of a preview? I mean, are there a couple of major regrets that you feel like, you know, majority of people might carry with them or that people may know someone that carries that regret with them? And I'll share mine too. So if you want to go first and I'll follow <laughs> up with an example. Okay.
0: Yeah. That's great. Yeah. The biggest one that I see is the constant willingness to sacrifice relationship for money, to just chase after whatever the next promotion is and ever the next status, because our families can't compete with that. My kids can't tell me, you know, you've done such a great job being a dad this quarter. We're going to go ahead and give you a bonus. And we're going to change your title to executive vice president of fatherhood. They're just kids They all they can do is just be with me where if I'm running after this other thing, I get attaboys and adulation and raises and I feel full. Plus I'm really, most of the time we're better at our careers than we are being a husband or a, or a wife or a parent. And so we just get pulled into it. And then eventually we kind of pop up and realize we did it wrong. And so that's a huge one. The other one that I hear a lot is when people get later in life and they realize they overaccumulated, and they could have been doing things all along. They could have been giving away they could have been connected to generosity, and they missed it. They, they said no, because they were scared and they were hoarding and they were protecting themselves. And so the, the tool there is this idea of the abundance fund, where the emergency fund is, hey, make sure if something goes wrong, you're okay. Eh, and That's fine. You should have that. But the other side of the equation, what if things go well? We tend to answer that question with, well, I'll just spend more money on myself. But If we set up an abundance fund that says, if things go well, and there's more that comes in than I need, I can put that aside and have it ready. And when I feel that next nudge to lift somebody's burden, help somebody out, give to a certain cause, I don't have to worry about how I can afford it. Where's it going to come from, from the budget. It's already there. And you just act and you start to get that beauty and that freedom of just engaging in generosity. It's why we exist. I think as humans is to lift burdens of others.
1: Those are two fantastic examples. And I have seen, you know, I'm sure, again, this is why we share these, right, to connect with you, the listener, for James and I to sit here and share our experiences openly. You know, James, one of the ones that I have lived out and seen in my 20 years is executives doing exactly what you said, right? So they sit down for those listening, most of you know or now know that I, you know, I've ran and been a part of a 46 year strong executive search firm. And in that experience, I have heard an experienced executive say that they really regret the last 30 years of their career, you know, where you have, and I've had episodes where we've talked about it. Leaders have shared, like, I didn't know my children when they were young, right? I'm now trying to rekindle a relationship and I lost a whole lifetime. The hardest one for me to hear is, you know, a child-related situation where an executive, while his daughter was diagnosed with cancer, he had to weigh two decisions. I continue my work path, which was taking him out of the city, on the road, And he felt that that was necessary because of the medical conditions that she was wrestling with. But when she passed, he literally lost himself in an interview and opened up and shared everything about everything I've ever been, I've ever learned, I've ever experienced. I would give it all back to have those final six months with my daughter again. It's and open. I'll share that whether this is directly related to passing and death, or just simply a relationship that's broken for so long that it doesn't even exist, that is why we believe relationships is first, right? Has to be. Has, Has to, be. to be. Yeah. It makes everything else better. It makes your world better. It makes your life better. And you have time And the capability of hearing this today and changing the current path that you're on, albeit subtly or directly making tough decisions to not miss out on what's around you and what those relationships are.
0: Well, and the hardest part about that emotional tension that you're hitting on, Mike, is that they will kind of explain that the reason they're doing this is because of their kids. That's right. I am making Every. this sacrifice, and I'm running after this thing for you. But have you ever stopped and asked your kids what they want? Because it's never that. Yeah. The story I talk about in the book was this guy that I really connected to that was running after all the ladder climbing and all the, you know, status growth. And I said, what, what What's the point? Well, if I get to this, then I can get to that. Then I can go to this level, and then I'll be able to send my kids to college. If I just keep climbing, I'll be able to pay for it. And I said, if you sat your kids down and you said, all right, here's the deal. I will not be part of your life for the next 15 years. You won't see me. You won't really have a great relationship with me. I'll see you on the weekends, but I'll be exhausted. But you get to go to college for free. Or you say, I'm going to be connected to you. I will be able to call out your identity. I will show you what it looks like to be in deep relationship and model that for you before you leave the house you might have to get some student loans when you leave the house. Which one do you think they'd pick? You're picking the one they don't even want. And you think it's for them. It's not even what they're asking for. I get that that's a huge oversimplification, but it's still true. <laughs> you know? It's
1: so. very true. Yeah. We talk about quality over quantity. And I know guilty as charged, right? I love what I do. True. And if I'm not careful, I do get consumed by work, right? But Fortunately, I have a great wife and a partner. I have a great team that reminds me because they know it that, you know, Sippel loves what he does. I love being around people that are as passionate as me about our craft and what we do, right? But but my children all have different love languages. And if I just set the phone down and go out and play basketball, I, I played horse in the dark with my nine year old and he beat me. He didn't even have a letter. <laughs> I lost so bad. My nine-year-old's also a fantastic basketball player. That's awesome. But he, he beat me and we were out for 27 minutes and we fist bumped at the end and like, man, that was an awesome game. And I mean, I think he floated for two days, right? Because I took the time to make that and we have to shift and we have to listen. And what I told myself for many years, James, was a lie that if I can't give him quantity, it's not even worth it. And what I've learned is even five minutes of like, while you're driving your child to school, even the hour and a half that you're at the ball game or on the field or on the track, the 40 minutes where you might, you know, my kids love, my oldest could watch Shark Tank 24-7, right? (laughs) So my youngest doesn't like Shark Tank at all. My daughter and My middle and oldest do. So, like, hey, can we watch Shark Tank or can we watch some house building show off the grid or something? Right. That 40 minutes is like a day for my oldest son, you know, where we can talk about would you have made the deal and how would you have done it differently and just be engaged, give quality over quantity every time and quit putting so much pressure on yourself. Right.
0: And the truth is, It's a direct corollary to leadership in the business world. Absolutely, I know that we're not our team's parents, but at some level, Wade and I, Wade, Daniel and I started the company together. We've challenged each other that we are the patriarchs of provision and of wealth creation and of boundary setting for this team of families. Way that we're going to build this thing out is that we're going to make sure that they're okay, that they're provided for. That we set really healthy boundaries for them to live within and make sure that we kind of force them to engage with their family because they're better employees when we do that. And when we engage with them, if we show, hey, I got time, what do you need? Let's talk instead of I'm buzzing past you and I don't have five seconds to talk to you. It's the same experience that our kids have if we're not careful. We got to be paying attention to that.
1: Well, so James, share with our listeners just a little bit more. Give the title of your book again. Yep. Share your podcast so they know how to follow up and get connected.
0: Yeah, sure. So the the book is Living a Rich Life. Its subtitle is The No Regrets Guide to Building and Spending Wealth.
1: Because
0: it's not just about building it; you actually got to spend it sometime too. And then the podcast is Rich Life Podcast. Company is Wealth Quest. If I am a huge fan of connecting with business leaders, just as you are, Mike. I mean, I love telling stories and inspiring each other and getting ideas from each other. So if there's anything that I can help with, I'm all about helping. So feel free to email me. It's it's jlenhoff at wqcorp.com. One of the things that I would be a huge fan of talking about, and and we could maybe do it on another episode too, is employee ownership. We have modeled our business around the idea of employees having ownership in the the company, and it has changed everything. It's changed the way they showed up. It's changed their attitude towards growth. It's not just more work. It actually means something to them. And so any ideas around how to do that or what it would look like, man, I'm, I'm all about that. I really am passionate that that does change the culture and it brings people together to this shared goal rather than just working for
1: some other person's benefit. Yeah, let's definitely encourage everybody to reach out to you regarding these topics. Again, shoot me an email shoot me a message on any social and just say James Linhoff book and we'll we're <laughs> gonna give out some copies. You can also go to talentmagnet.com backslash giveaway and fill that out and put James's name in there so we can track those. James, I really appreciate you coming on for this week's episode.
0: Love the conversation, Mike. Thanks so much for having me here.
1: Yeah. And I all of you listening, I hope this left you some real, tangible action steps that you can take today to live a rich life, as James mentioned. So again, until next time, we look forward to the next conversation. Please reach out and hope you have a great one. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappell and Adam Smith of Sound Press, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine, and myself, your host Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life. Reframing success in leadership.